So welcome, Eileen, and thank you for having me in your home. Thank where you. you. Gave birth to baby Rogine six months ago. Mm-hmm. So outside of making three beautiful baby girls, um, you worked as a yoga teacher, hypnotherapist, and Ayurvedic practitioner. Um, so tell me more about this as far as like what inspired you to go into this field as far as um, mind and body wellness and how long did you work in each field? Um, I think just uh, taking classes and having a total shift in, in how I felt. <laughs> Mm-hmm. inspired me to just go deeper. It was like the simplest way. It just had such a profound impact on me. I was living um, in New York City when I first started mm-hmm. to practice yoga. And um, I just really had no concept of like how grounding living a slow life can be and all the benefits to being intentional and mindful. Um, it was just all foreign to me. And I even I think I got into yoga to like you know, be skinny or mm. <laughs> it's like, and then, you know, it just got sidetracked into being happier and healthier and, um, just content really even more than happiness is like that stability. I used to have high highs and low lows and now I'm through those practices. Um, just like pretty a, content. Like a centered groundedness. Yeah. Is this pre babies? Yes. Okay. So that was, um, about 10 years ago okay. uh, that I, I got yoga certified. And then I moved to Los Angeles and my favorite yoga teacher was an Ayurvedic practitioner. And so I just kind of wanted to know everything that she knew. And she would drop these like beautiful um, teachings into her yoga class mm-hmm. that were more Ayurvedic, although they're so intertwined. Um, it's hard to say that they're separate, but um And I started studying with her and then I went to Ayurveda college and then I sort of interned with her again, um, for lack of a better word, like apprentice, I guess. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, um, Ayurveda being so mind, body, spirit, I really got into the, the element of the mind, especially being, that was sort of my like affliction for lack of a better word, just like a lot of thoughts, anxiety of when I first before I went deep into these practices. And so um, then I also went to hypnotherapy college during all that. But then I had my first child and everything kind of Mm. shifted. Mm -hmm. But then I got like extremely (laughs) almost obsessed, totally infatuated with um, translating that into that wisdom into mother mothering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because so much of them, I mean, I find as a midwife and what I see is that birth obviously is very physical. It's in your body, but so much of it is mental and mm-hmm. it, and the, and the mental blockages that can happen, um, that then can stall everything. Yeah. Did you find that? Um, so I find that so fascinating that not only do you do yeah body work or you, you know, you're in that field, but also the mental health is as well. Um, did you find that you applied some of those things to your, to your, to all, all of your births? Definitely. And I think the one that was most helpful, cause I even, I did hypno babies with the first one and, 
Um, I thought I would use hypnosis a lot more, but I think it was just my, my meditation background that was the most helpful for me. Mm, interesting. Um, so prior to having your own children um, and being in that world of wellness, did you start learning or thinking about childbirth in a way that was different to how perhaps you viewed it growing up? Or what was your perception of, of birth before having your own kids? Well, growing up, um, my birth story was that I was born via cesarean. And my mom always says, I didn't have a single cramp. She just didn't. I was well, well past due. And she didn't feel any contractions. And then she was induced. And they would tell her she's having a contraction. And she said, I don't feel it. And then they cut me out. And um, she ha- I had a brother after that. But he had some complications. And so he was a cesarean. And I'd always just seen, my mom was happy with it. She's like, oh, I'm glad I didn't have to go through that. And so I had kind of, for a long time, I thought, yeah, I'm just going to do that. And then when I got more into wellness, um, I really wanted to have natural births. Um, And I think it, I think I, I think that Ricky Lake documentary sort of blew my mind. But I, but even then when I saw that, I was like, I, I still don't know that I could do that, even though I like to think that I trusted enough, I was still sort of not even probably fear-based actually, but also at at that time, I growing up um, with my mom being a nurse and just being on antibiotics all the time as a kid and always going to the doctor, I was just conditioned and, and fine with giving my power away kind of like just showing up at the doctors and doing what they told me. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. <laughs> so not so much fear of the pain, but fear of like trusting the process and trusting your body and like that, it, that you, that you could do this without someone managing it. Yes. Closely. Yes. I think I, before I thought doctors know more than I do. And now I know I am the expert on myself mm-hmm. and my children. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, so you had your third daughter at home so tell me about the decisions of around having, um, well, what, well, briefly, what were your two first two experiences like, and when, how did that affect then your decision to have Regine at home? Well, I had my my older my oldest daughter um, at Kaiser, so I had um, like what's it called HMO insurance and I and then I heard that they had really a cool midwifery program they were a baby friendly hospital and so I was like great I'll just do that then because there's midwives and I I assumed because they were midwives that they were going to be on the same page with me and I actually had this really wonderful midwife that I saw throughout my pregnancy but then when it comes time to birth you just get who's ever on shift and actually once I went past due all the literature that they had given me throughout my pregnancy said I could go 42 weeks. And as soon as I was past due, they scheduled my induction. And at that now, if someone did that, I would say, okay, and I would not show up. Mm, <laughs> but at the time, I was like distraught. And it didn't occur to me that I could, you know, I felt kind of like a kid and they were the principal telling me I had to do this thing or something. And um, I got totally dysregulated and I had a doula for my first and she I called her and she was kind of like well if you're gonna be induced anyway you could try to induce yourself and so I took a bunch of 
castor oil and cohosh and my water broke, but labor really didn't start. Mm. And so, um, so I was home for a while, about a day and I would have some contractions and they would go away and, but it never really escalated. And so after I think it's like a little hazy now, a day or a day and a half, I went into the hospital and I told them that my water had been broken for like eight hours instead of 28, something like that, Mm -hmm. just because I knew I was on the clock. Mm -hmm. And um, they put me on Pitocin, but things really didn't kick in. And and, um, I think I was pitted like to about 40, like really high. My my, uh, doula said she kept leaving the room to like make sure, because she had never seen anybody pitted so high. And... um, and I didn't want to move around. I just kind of rocked in this chair. But I think she was posterior and says I wasn't moving. She wasn't moving. And then at some point, they uh, somebody said it was a good idea for me to get an epidural. That was at about 50 hours since my water had broken. Um, and you started contracting regularly. Yeah, I had been with the Pitocin. With the Pitocin. Yeah. And so they thought I was at 10, but I didn't feel like pushing. So they're like, or I was at maybe nine. I was close. Mm-hmm. So they said, have an epidural now. You can have a nap. And then when you wake up, it'll wear, we'll just give you a little and it'll be time to push. But, um, after so about six hours later, I started pushing, but I really couldn't feel anything. They were very non-productive, and I pushed for about four hours and I was at 10, but she just didn't come out. And then I mentally like hit the wall mm-hmm. And so they were like, well, do you, we could have a cesarean or you could keep pushing. And I was like, I just don't want to keep pushing. And then I have to end up in a cesarean. And I was sort of, that was the first time I had been doing the hypno baby so intently. And I was just like rocking in this chair and focusing on that. And that was at this point is when I got sort of dysregulated. And then the baby's heartbeat, it wasn't any emergency situation, um, but that's when it started to kind of fluctuate and it sort of felt like everything. And so I just said, I want to get it. So I just want her out. And so I did have a cesarean, but it wasn't an emergency. And, and it, I was, um, I had really wanted to have a natural birth or at least a vaginal birth. Cause I also wasn't planning to have the epidural mm. that was at 50 hours. Um, although the first ones were like sort of on and off, but, yeah. um, yeah, that was my first. And that, and, and getting the epidural, I mean, and having that experience of being going into the second time, like, you know, these things that you had planned to not do ended up happening, but sort of in a way that got, well, the epidural perhaps helped you get to a place where you could, you know, have the strength after so many hours to push for a good amount of time to know that you really tried for a vaginal birth and probably position and whatever it could have been. Um, and then choosing a cesarean, did, did those factors then lead you into wanting, did that, did it bring up any fears a second time of like, of that's going to happen again? I'm just going to, why don't I just sign up for a C-section or did you, did you kind of go back and say like, no, let's start from you know, scratch again and try an un- for an unmedicated birth. Yeah, I, I definitely didn't think I'll just schedule another cesarean. I hoped to have a natural birth, but I had a lot less expectations. Mm. And one thing that sort of bummed me out about the hypno babies thing was I was so precious about not hearing any other stories mm. other than my idealized version. And so I kind of, I don't know, 
Um, that part, it's so wonderful to hear all different types of birth stories. And I know people unload sometimes on you and, um, but yes, uh, did it make you feel like you were doing it wrong or that like, because, because you didn't have any other context or just sort of, no, it was like, I, I think it, for me with the second, I had way less expectations and I kind of felt like, Although nowhere does hypnobabies guarantee a blissful birth, I felt like if I do everything to a T and I'm a super healthy, what could go wrong? Mm. Especially, you know, and that's also why I went like 60 hours. And that was ego, mm. not wanting to have the birth that I wanted. I could have called it 15, 20 hours earlier with the same outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a lot less sore because when you have pushed for four hours, you're sore both places, your scar and on there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I, I was really blessed to have had that experience going into the second one where I was like, here's what I want to happen. And then no expectations, mm-hmm. but I did want to set myself up. And so I had interviewed a couple of midwives and I really liked them, but, um, I had SAG insurance this time. Screen Actors Guild, the uh, PPO. Um, And so um, they had just changed their policy like the month prior where they were no longer covering home births, whereas they used to cover it and then you would be, you had to pay and then they would pay you back. And so it just felt like that was a hard no. Mm -hmm. And one of the midwives that I had interviewed with said that if she was going to have a hospital birth, she would have it with Dr. Wu, who's like, he was like the VBAC guy. He has a really low cesarean rate. Mm-hmm. And so I just did that. It was like, I'll just go with Dr. Wu then. Amazing. And so, um, and then, and then, did you have a doula with, the, with your second? No. I, it was just my husband and I in the room. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know why. I just didn't feel. We were tight financially, and I had thought about trying to find somebody, but at the end, I I was like, I felt like I knew what I was getting into Mm -hmm. this time, Mm -hmm. although um, I ended up sort of, but not really having a doula with Roisin, and it was great. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, just just Mike and I at the hospital. And I liked what you said, you know, of, of you knew what you wanted, but you didn't have expectations, which is such a a beautiful way of approaching a birth quote plan, you know, is like to have, it's to have intentions, but don't have expectations. It's like, have the knowledge, uh, about your choices, but also be totally ready to like throw it all out the window and not hold so close, you know, so hold it so tightly. Cause then that's when actually like the very thing you're trying to resist is what persists. So, um, so yeah, I, I always feel like with birth and with each with each birth, like there's a little part of you that has to kind of die a little bit in order to like make space for this new person to come through. You know, like you said, your ego that was all you know, like holding on for those hours. And but that's but that's so. I mean, you see it in every woman, even if they achieve the vaginal birth that they wanted. There's still a part of them that has to kind of like stretch to their thinnest point, you know? Um, so, so tell me about your birth with, uh, with the other second. Um, so her birth, 
Um, I went past due again, and I remember Dr. Wu was really funny because uh, I went, actually, I went in because I was a little bit past my due date, and I didn't feel kicks so much that day, and I got kind of nervous after a few hours, and so I went in, and we were there, and Dr. Wu felt my belly, and he was like, baby's really big, don't want you to fail. <laughs> You come in, come in at one in the morning or something, but I couldn't get it straight whether you meant one tonight or tomorrow at one. And I even tried to clear it up, but I didn't show up that night <laughs> when I was supposed to, I guess. But I went into labor and nonetheless, I, he stripped my membranes. Okay. Um, and so, but I went home and then hours later, um, uh, labor started and it was about 11 p.m. I think. And, um, they just got stronger all throughout the night. So, you know, probably by like three or four in the morning, I was just downstairs moaning and pacing around and, and I really wanted to show up at the hospital as late as possible because that was the, I knew that I would have to stay overnight and I had never left my first. Mm. And so I was just like, I gotta have as little time as possible at the hospital so I can just be one night away from Goldie. And um, I was, like, fixated on that. Did this labor feel different? And did you feel safe with those contractions since you weren't induced? Like, you kind of... I did. Yeah. Yeah, it felt much different. And it felt really um, sort of textbook to me because it was, like, they were 10 minutes apart. They were 8 minutes apart. And it was all pretty gradual. I think it took... um, What was it? 17 hours from the first contraction until she was born, which I was, like... That's yeah. <laughs> a lot less than 60. That was great. Um, but uh, so I labored at home for a long time. And then finally around noon or so, my husband and my mom were just like, you got to get out of here. We're really uncomfortable. You got to get out of here. And I was like, okay, we'll go. But on the condition that we pick up a smoothie on the way, because I thought they never you know, give you food at the hospital and I'm going to be so hungry because it could go another mm-hmm. another day and a half. And so we stopped for a smoothie, like in Eagle Rock, and then uh, drove back up to Glendale Adventist. And um, I think they kind of weren't, you know, in a rush, but eventually they they checked me, um, and I was already at nine. Wow. And I was like, I just want to have this baby today. They're like, it's one o'clock. You're having the yes. baby today. I was like, thank you. Aww. And so, but, oh, okay, so I had gone with Dr. Wu, because in my mind, he was just the VBAC guru, Mm -hmm. and, um, but he had said, because I had um, a cesarean, that he performed his VBACs with an epidural, and so I just, even though I, like, went natural all the way to 10 when it was time to push, he gave me the epidural, and I just agreed to that because I'm like, I just, I know, I felt like I knew I will get a vaginal birth at least. Mm-hmm. And, um, but also, she was posterior again. All three of mine were posterior, mm-hmm. but, um, so, I got the epidural, and she was uh, posterior, and so he manually, you know, we kind of sort of over half an hour flipped her with his whole hand inside (laughs) and then I pushed again for about four hours and then he caught me and used forceps which you know I was like happy to have the vaginal birth but it was a fourth degree tear and that is an invasive technique and sort of scary in some ways 
uh, to think back on. But, you know, when you're that close at the end, I wasn't like, um, and, and I, and I had a lot of trust in him. Um, and so she was born with forceps and, um, but looking back, I'm, and having my home birth experience, which was just a dream come true, but I labored very much the same way. Mm. And I liked being sort of hunched forward and doing the swaying thing. And I liked doing that right up until Roisin was coming out. And so I think if I had just been Mm. allowed to stand and move, she would have turned out on her own. Interesting. And I would have felt the pushing Mm -hmm. because, again, I couldn't feel the pushing. So interesting. And so, um, yeah, so going into my third, the thing I wanted most was to be able to feel and... um, and yeah, and that just went great. So with with so how did you know that your first two were posterior based on the symptoms of having kind of the classic back pain the whole the whole labor? Or? I didn't have terrible back pain, okay. but they were all posterior, and it was like the kicks, yeah. and then um, you know, and then once it was showtime, they could tell um, with their hands, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, with the first, I really didn't totally get what that meant. I mean, mm-hmm. I knew she was, like, facing the wrong way, but I also knew it's a variation of normal. It's not breach, which mm-hmm. is also, I know, a variation of normal. But um, I just wasn't that concerned about it. But, yeah. And then and then with your second, um, you didn't feel the, the, the... Like you said, with Regine, like you were standing leaning forward more, which is a pretty common labor position regardless of, you know, the baby's position. Um, But that you didn't feel that kind of instinct to do that at home when you were laboring? I did. You did. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing it like the whole time. Yeah. And then even when, um, yeah, that that was it. Just that same swaying, Mm -hmm. standing, Mm -hmm. sort of hunched forward Mm -hmm. and moaning, walking about. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just like allowing the space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, granted, you know, just to back up a little bit, you know, you had, you had the, the, you know, your, your hospital births, I mean, were pretty, I would say, you know, the, the end result was definitely like necessary for the cesarean and the second one for a pushing a long time. And also that was Wu's kind of protocol, like you know, he would usually say like, well, it'll be epidural episiotomy forceps. And so, um, but you know, were you, were you the first amongst your community to, to want an unmedicated birth or were you, was it pretty common to be in a hospital setting like amongst your friends or family? Amongst most of my friends and family. Yeah, it was just protocol to be in the hospital. I also, amongst my yoga friends, it was not. Interesting. Um, but, you know, as far as family and pe- any friends outside of that, mm-hmm. yeah, it was just a given. Um, especially you said your mom's a nurse, so yeah, in the medical field. My mom loves to, you know, like just go to the doctor for every symptom and get her diagnosis and prognosis and mm-hmm. medications and you know mm-hmm. not that it always mm-hmm. <laughs> works out for her very well but she's happy with yeah. that yeah and it is so interesting I think I think that is and it's not 
you know, she's not alone in that. And that's a really common thing that I think a lot of people, when it has to do with their body, perhaps it's too much responsibility, you know, to take that on. Um, so it's, it's nice to just sort of take your hat off and leave it to someone else. I mean, of course, like, and they're experts and that's what they do, but, um, but I, you know, you, I, I hear a lot of, you know, I have my first in the hospital just in case. And, and I always sort of wonder what is this, you know, and obviously if they have pre-existing conditions or whatever it may be, of yeah. course, like that's the setting for them. But if they're healthy, which a lot of women are, um, you know, what is, what is this sort of imagined scenario that, that could play out where we're being in a hospital? Like, did that come up for you? Like, yeah. Yeah, and I think it came up for my husband really strongly when I was quite emphatic about wanting a home birth. Mm. Um, but I, I think it's to do with like what you know. What if the baby's not breathing? Mm. Um, but I know midwives have oxygen. Uh, but it's like if, if something, yeah, which is like the fear of the unknown, I guess, and thinking that the hospital is the safest setting, but. I think that's not necessarily true. A lot of times there's a lot of unnecessary interventions and there's a lot of sickness at the hospital and just people are quick mm-hmm. to to administer a lot of medications that aren't necessarily mm-hmm. needed. Yeah. And that can lead to complications too. So it's like if you really study or you know, do your diligence about figuring out the safest place for you, you might not come to that conclusion when you investigate more thoroughly. Although it seems like, of course you would want to be where, you know, where they could seemingly like, because allopathy and surgery are amazing. Right. But if you're totally healthy and that's not necessary, it might, yeah. Yeah. It might not be actually the safest thing. For you or your baby, totally. So, how did you find? How did you find Christian? How did you find your midwife? Oh, so, I really wanted to have a home birth, um, but I, once again, I had reached out to our insurance, and it didn't seem like it was possible. I kept getting no's, and my friend Rebecca, who's a doula, was like, "Do you mind if I just look into this for you? I really think there's a way." I was like, "If you want to take your time, like." That would be great, but I personally get so having two kids and being on the phone and calling insurance is like the worst way to spend your day, you know? And I was like, I've tried, I'm not getting anywhere. And she was like, I'll do it for you, I'll figure it out. And she sent me Christian's info and she was like, This, I think you would totally vibe with Christian. She has somebody who works for her that deals with the insurance. Just try it. And I was like, okay. And I, I, the kids were like asleep in the parking lot one day and I just called from my car and she answered and I talked with her and I was like, oh my gosh, I love this woman already. Mm. I, I hope this works out. I just, I'll trust that if it's meant to work out, it will. And, and it all did. And, um, and I felt so t- like with Rasheen's birth, <sighs> my third, um, Everything just sort of unfolded that way. I was like, I'll put it out there mm. and we'll see what happens. And like everything that I had hoped for happened. And it was really magical after um, having two that um, just went differently. And it was, 
it's so, I love being a third time mom because, uh, it's like, there's so much more ease in the process Mm -hmm. now knowing what I know that I could never have known any other way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really had all kinds of birth experience, you know, birth experiences. You've had a surgical birth. You've had a very hands-on vaginal birth. And then, you know, and I'm, we're about to hear your third birth story, but I'm sure it was very hands-off in that sense, Um, which is such a gift to your daughters, to other women, to be able to empathize and say, I know, you know, about all those different experiences to relate to, which is not common. And sometimes you want, it's like, okay, universe, like, why did you need me to, you know, be able to share these little yes. nuggets of truth, you know, with different people. But that's so cool. It is a blessing. So, um, so when you said you went late with the other two, how late did you go? Um, with, I believe Goldie and Sally were both just five days past due. And then Roisin was, according to my first due date when I was, cause actually at first I was just going to my you know, whoever my insurance told me to go to until I switched to Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, she was like, uh, I think 13 days past that due date. And then when I met with Christian, you know, and we went over my cycles and she was like looking to give me, you know, a good size window, Mm -hmm. um, knowing that I, I was past due and my first two were past due. So we figured out, um, we switched the date back, I think two days. And so I think Roisin was 11 or 12 days past due. Mm-hmm. And when did you switch to um, Christian and your pregnancy? How many weeks I believe 20 weeks, like that's right great. after my the big anatomy scan. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect, sort of halfway. Um, so you were 12, you said 12 days? Yes. Past. And how did it start with Roisin? Um, so I had, when I was just a couple days past due at my appointment, Christian, I had Christian check me because I was, I think once I hit my due date, I was going for these evening walks with my husband and I could really get things moving, you know, doing the uneven walking mm-hmm. on the sidewalk and, um, and I could get things going, but then they would peter out and I was like, but I, they would really sort of amp up for a bit there. Um, and so I had her check me, and I was at three, and then a week went past, because we were both like, oh, okay, you're already at three, you're feeling stuff. A week went past, and she checked me, so that was when I was like 10 days past or so, and I was at seven, just like walking around at seven. Oh my gosh. And so... Um, so then Christian <laughs> offered if I wanted, because I was also like, you know, just really over it. I get so big every pregnancy. It's like, and are you tr- like, are were you going into this third one? Were you trying all the nat- like acupuncture and sex and smoothie and all that stuff? Or yeah, kind of like because eh, knowing your history, you're like it'll happen when it happens. I, I was also doing the you know the like you know I was doing the, the walking yeah. and I saw the chiropractor. I was doing whatever yeah. I could short of the castor oil and the right. cohosh that didn't really work. Um, the first time, cause I, I'm real, I realize now that my body wasn't ready. Yeah. Um, but so this time, yeah. And this was the first pregnancy. Well, cause I also went like a whole week longer past mm. due, but I was really over it. 
Whereas before I was always like, this is the last time I'll be so close to her. And I was like, you know, just like had days that were very, I felt like just a bitch, you know, like I'm mean and I'm done. And then I would have like a good day again, but she still didn't come. And so then it was like, so, um, so then when Christian was like, well, I can strip your membranes and you're already at seven, you can do the castor oil. Because also at that point, I'm like 11 days, I was getting nervous about going past my due date because it felt like I was going to be pregnant for the rest of my life. I'm sure. Um, and so she stripped my membranes and I went home later and did the, her cocktail, the castor oil and the Mm -hmm. apricot and, um, and they felt a lot of cramps and stuff, but I was like, these are like a lot of contractions, but it's sort of like one long contraction. Mm-hmm. And Christian was like, I think that's just like more intestinal. Mm-hmm. Although I know that that can influence other things as well. But cause I was like, I'm having, it's like something's happening. And she's like, actually it sounds kind of more like just the castor oil and, uh, you know, elimination. And I was like, okay, maybe. And they, so that was, I was already at seven, then I was having those cramps. And then after like four hours of that, so say I took the cocktail at like seven, like 11 o'clock, it had kind of stopped. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so sad. I really want to have the baby. I had, I had sort of a text thread of the women who had come to my little mother's blessing. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm taking the cocktail. I hope it'll happen tonight. Can you light your candles? Cause I don't want to text you in the middle of the night. And I went to bed at like midnight, just so defeated. Mm. And then at um, two in the morning, because I wasn't really sleeping very well. And then at two in the morning, I opened my eyes and I felt a snap, like a rubber band, this pop. And I had a really gnarly contraction. And I looked at my phone and it was 2 a.m. on the dot. And I like sat up and my water broke all over the bed. And I was like, you know, Mike, my water broke. That was a that was a different type of contraction than the huh. other ones I'd been having. I was like, "This is it." So we called Christian, and she's like, "Okay, call me back in if in uh, like if they're consistent or whatever." Mm-hmm. And then like ten minutes later, I'm like, "Call Christian. She's got to come because mm-hmm. it was like I was immediately in transition. I think I was probably of course. yeah <laughs> starting at seven. Yeah. So that was great. So I just came downstairs, you know, with like my pants off and the towel. <laughs> And I was just standing there, like, by the door. Mike was getting the birth tub ready. And I was, like, waiting for Christian to come in. In my mind, I was like, I don't care if Christian doesn't make it. As I know, she told me, if babies come too fast, it's because, you know, everything's good. Um, don't worry about that. I'll be there soon. And But I started to feel like, like I want my midwife, mm-hmm. like a little girl who wants her mm-hmm. mom. I was just like, I wish Christian was here. And when she came in and, like, we locked eyes, like... I, I don't know. It was one of the most, it was such a beautiful experience and I felt so loved. And my friend Rebecca, um, my, well, okay. My friend, my one friend Liberty is a midwife, uh, in Australia, New Zealand. And she always, she had told me I became a midwife because my mom has these amazing birth photos of my sister and I, and I never had any fear around birth. And I just always like, you know, these photos meant so much to me. You have to, if you're having this home birth, you have to get photos. And my friend Rebecca, who had also given me Christian's info, Mm -hmm. she's like one of my angel friends. She was also like, she's a doula. She was like, I'm kind of wanting to transition more to birth photography. Would you mind if I photographed your birth? 
and I could like use, you know, use the experience, whatever. And I was like, cause I had been really wanting a birth photographer and just, they're very expensive. Yeah. So I just sort of crossed it off. It was like going to try to tell Mike, focus on the photographs. <laughs> I don't even need to, right. you know? Um, so she came, so she was there. Um, and like, you know, just bringing me water and then Christian came with like her cadaver backpack and uh my husband was setting everything up and yeah I was just like it was getting close and I started to feel like I wanted to push and so we got to go in the back room which was cool is ready to feel yes huge so huge that's amazing it was really awesome and did it feel like I know what this is like this is what this or was it like I've never felt this what is this no I was like I mean, it was the first time, so I'm like, I think this is me feeling like I need a push soon. And Christian was like, okay. Um, And then when she was like, okay, I was like, yeah, it is. Like, I know what's going on. And I went to the back room where everything was set up because the tub was filling. So that was like, you got to wait a couple minutes. And I was wanting to stand, and Christian um, told me that it would probably be more comfortable to go on hands and knees. And I did that for a minute, but I was like... I hate that. Mm-hmm. I want to stand up. So I stood up until I could get in the pool. And then once I was in the pool, it was just like, I felt so good. Mm. Because before I could get in the pool, that was the the point where I was like, um, I don't want to do this. You know, I wasn't getting a break between the contractions anymore. Mm-hmm. And I knew it. I heard myself and I thought, I got to reframe that. I don't, I do want to do this. I'm really close. I want to do this, but I want to do it in the water. And then when I got in the water, I felt so good. And that's when um, Sarah Howard came because she was assisting with Christian. And in my mind, I don't know, she's sort of just like this angel that showed up for a <laughs> while and then she left again. Like I've only met her the once, but she was awesome. Um, and I got in the pool and I started to feel her head. I just reached down. I was sort of on my knees in the pool. Um, and I said, she's got a lot of hair. And once I felt her head, I looked at Mike and I said, go get the girls. Because my daughters were here and my mom was up here with them. Because they had sort of woken up with the commotion. And I really, my dream, which I knew not to, to uh, attach too much wait to but mm. my my greatest dream like period was that the girls could be there for their sister being born and it would sort of change the birth story of our family because my both my grandmothers this, as I've been told you know were uncon- literally unconscious for their births and then my mom had this really medicalized birth where she didn't feel a thing and then I had progressively less yeah. <laughs> intervention but I just thought like if I can, you know, have these photographs and the memories and the story of how we can birth, you know, having three daughters, yeah, um, that would be amazing. So Mike came up and the, got the girls and they all came in and I <laughs> pushed her head out and, um, and then, and that was all just sort of like, you know, felt out of my control even mm. just it was happening on its own but then the it I didn't feel that like it sort of stopped mm. um for the, her body and she came out with a nuchal hand Gosh. and um so after I guess a couple minutes Christian was like gotta get out of the tub you know stand up and I was just like okay in my mind I thought this can't be good but it can't be bad either she would tell the girls to leave yeah so I'm like, get out of the tub, and we walk over to the couch, 
and she had me do runner's pose and then sort of flip on my back with the one knee up. Mm-hmm. And then her body came out and she was 10 pounds, 14 ounces. Oh my so gosh. Christian called it chubby dystocia. <laughs> yeah. She's just a big baby with that nickel wow. hand. And um, yeah. That's amazing. It was so awesome. And so, and did you feel any, did, I mean, were you, were you pushing at the same time that you were, even if you didn't feel the urge, like just trying to get her yes, out? Yes. Yeah. Because once, yeah, once her head was out and I walked across the room with her head and arm out, oh they were like, you know, runner's pose, push, 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 push. And I didn't, you know, with my first two births, I was being told, coached when to push and I hated it. But this time I was like, I get it. We're working together at the end here. Right. Um, and yeah, so they were telling me, you know, or I would feel it and then they would encourage me further and Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and that's, it's just, I love that story because it's also, it goes to show like what midwives can do in a, in a, in a situation where that's, that's a, that's a complication of childbirth, Mm -hmm. meaning shoulder dystocia or as she kindly said, chubby (laughs) dystocia, you know, where but the problem in the hospital is, is that you're all hooked up and you're on your back. And so it becomes a real issue and you can't be mobile. But when, if you can be mobile and your pelvis can move, then the baby can turn underneath your pelvis and yeah. come on out, you know? So it's like, it just goes to show that like, yeah, those things happen, but they're also resolvable and mm-hmm. you know, the baby's fine. And I'm, I'm sure in the hospital, they probably would have given me an episiotomy and I probably would have had another fourth degree tear and I didn't tear at all with my third. Wow. That's amazing. And I was right. going to ask about that given that you birthed the head yourself. I mean, that's, I mean, that's amazing and must've felt so redemptive and empowering. To it was the greatest day of my entire life. That's no amazing. Doubt. Um, so yeah, what was the recovery like? I mean, yeah, with all three, like what, what were, what was similar? What was different? Um, I mean, it sounds like obviously this third one was probably the smoothest, but, um, but yeah, if you can talk about the differences of a surgical birth and a, and a vaginal birth with, you know, instruments and then a spontaneous vaginal birth. So, um, actually with my with my first and second births, I had felt like the impact on my body was kind of equal, even mm-hmm. though I had a surgery the first time, just because that, um, that fourth degree tear and also both, you know, four hours of non-productive pushing. Oh, this is a birth podcast. I had enormous hemorrhoids yeah. and that was really extremely uncomfortable. Um, yeah, so that hurt like just as much. Wow. My butt hurt just as much as my fourth degree tear, and um, and so that was very uncomfortable. Just as un- and I know like my abdomen hurt mm-hmm. the first time, but it kind of sort of felt equal to me wow. in intensity. Um, so, and and. I always do my 40 days at home after all three of my births. And so I think regardless of how I had a lot of interventions with the first few pregnancies within the six weeks, I was just like, I don't know, doing pretty good. That's amazing. And that's not at all, uh, our culture by any means. So where did you, where did you 
become exposed to that? That came from both my Ayurvedic background and in my Kundalini yoga background. There's a huge emphasis on on laying in, and I took it really seriously. Um, and I I would I left each time. I think I left the house for like one or two doctor's appointments, but that was it. And I didn't have any friends over, just immediate family. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, both with all three, I had someone come and give me a massage. Mm-hmm. Like the first week, I think I had three massages with Goldie and maybe five with Sally and, and five over the course of six weeks after Oshin, just because um, it was... I remember the feeling of that first Abhyanga massage with the warm mm. sesame oil after having my first child and my whole body, like every cell felt different. Wow. It was like so nourished and um, it just changed everything. It was like <laughs> there was before the massage and after. It was a total transformation wow. of how I felt in my body. That's incredible. And did you do any um, sp- specific uh nutrition or belly wrapping binding or anything like that yeah so I I always did the belly wrap um I had like you know bought the the fancy cute um bang yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) but I all I felt the easiest ones were like the hospital ones Mm -hmm. and and I could adjust those tighter easier on my own and I could take them off if there was like a pinch and so I ended up using those the most but I tried to wear them, you know, all day. And then I, I, lo- I didn't like the feeling, but I thought it was good for me. Mm-hmm. And because, um, yeah, you do, I did feel, always feel just sort of like loosey-goosey. And yeah. it felt good to be bound up, but like incom- uncomfortable at the yeah. same time. Um, and I always follow like a very vata pacifying um, Ayurvedic postpartum diet. Because that's what you are. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so cool that you know that. Yeah. But also, you know, the process of birthing is a vata. Everybody postpartum has a vata imbalance no no matter your dosha. Yeah. So, so everyone would follow that postpartum, that kind of, that. At least for those six weeks. Yeah. Wow. So what were, what were those foods? What were those? So everything cooked and, um, you know, well spiced without being too spicy, but mm-hmm. spiced to benefit your digestion without like, you know, giving your baby right. reflux. <laughs> um, and, uh, like a lot of root vegetables and stews and, um, just everything warm and oily and well spiced, mm-hmm. um, soups are great, you know, like oatmeals and, um, rice puddings, yeah. lots and lots and lots of ghee on everything, but like no, not a lot of cold drinks and stuff with Roisin. Actually, she was born June 26th and that was three days before it was 120 degrees. Do you remember that? Yes. So I did have some cool water yeah. <laughs> because I was like, this is, this is insane. Normally I had never broken like our typical Ayurvedic protocol, wow. but so at that point I also felt like I know my body. And yes. Yeah. You'll probably be fine. So it sounds like it's a lot of like very earthy, very like. Yeah. Very grounding. stuff. Yeah. Yes. Is... And warming. Interesting. Yeah. That's so fascinating. It's so cool. And I'm, and I'm sure you felt. And it probably, like, helps build rich blood and, like, helps Mm -hmm. with the healing and everything like that. Yes. That's so neat. But I... And I I had been worried um, 
because what got me into or so into um, yoga and Ayurveda mm-hmm. way back when was my anxiety. Mm. And so I was really nervous about having postpartum issues, um, having like a history of having been medicated for anxiety and having like depression and, um, and I had like not even baby blues, just like I, there were a couple times when I cried and I was like, I'm so happy. I don't know why I'm crying, but, but like, no. And, and that's been like my entire motherhood. It's not easy by any means, but I haven't, I've been blessed with the tools to, uh, I think I've stayed on top of that or any, any time I started to feel like, Oh, I'm getting kind of dysregulated. I've, I've known what to do. Mm. Um, because, uh, of, of that background. Yeah. Which is so key. I feel like, because especially in the early weeks postpartum, it's all the fo- all the focus goes to the baby and it's like yeah. and, and it feels more natural to put the baby first however yeah. if you are going down that baby is also not going to make it with totally. you know, with you and so it's like to put yourself first with a priority of nutrition and yeah that body work that you got which is amazing is is just going to benefit everyone and make you a better yeah. mom and it's hard to do like, you know, that was expensive for us to have someone come for these body treatments. It felt like, you know, it still feels like a luxury. Sure. Like, oh, I'm having someone come to the house and like, like I'm the queen of Sheba or something. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, and then also people don't understand staying home for six weeks. That's just like weird. And I don't, it's not my job to explain it to people, but I can tell it feels like, you know, some people feel it's indulgent or just strange or like, when can I come over and see the baby? Why can't I? You don't even want me in your house. Okay. Wow. You know, like yeah. it's can feel strange to assert yourself that way. Yeah. But uh, coming from the background where it was so emphasized, I was like, I just have to do this. I don't even know why it seems a little extreme, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it probably, like you said, I mean, prevented, something that where you were a candidate for having some kind of postpartum, you know, mood disorder or, and that is one of the most common complications in our country. And that's only what's reported. And it's no wonder because we have to go back to work by six weeks if that's the only paid, you know, it's like, we're such a culture that rushes things. Yes, exactly. And it's like to slow down and like you said, assert yourself of like, what's your tradition? What feels good for you? I mean, obviously it, you know, financially people do have to go back and I get that, you know, Mm -hmm. and you have to make it work, but also you can make tiny adjustments with those sorts of things of just saying like, you know, we're not taking visitors, you know, and if you are going to bring food, just leave it at the door and and just kind of like keeping your little bubble. And, um, there are ways of modifying without, without like modifying our culture, without um, it being this, like, exorbitantly expensive thing. Yeah. You know, so, um, but that's so cool that you honored that. And then your girls, again, got to see that and, like, pass that. You get to pass that to them, and it's so cool. It's amazing. Thank you. Um, so they, they, the, the, the wise people, they say that each birthing experience gives you the tools you need to parent that particular child. Do you feel like that's true with all three, like your birth experiences and what you gleaned from 
from from that experience helped kind of like you relate and and um, communicate and to with you with that specific daughter. I think so. My first with you know I had that long labor and it just seemed like she did not want to come out and then she was extracted. Um, she's so sensitive and sort of fearful mm. by nature. You know, like she just lost her tooth before you got here, but like you know. It's, it's gonna come out there's blood just you know and this has been like days of like excited about it and then terror um interesting so she's it was like and then also her whole babyhood and toddlerhood she just would rather be held than put down she didn't even start crawling till she was a year and she was walking like a week later but <laughs> she just wanted i'm like if she could live in there still she probably would interesting and then with sally yeah, <sighs> Sally's, you know, she's my just sort of like, uh, I don't know, like a bull in a china shop, uh-huh. you know, she can like really take a punch, uh-huh. she's like all scraped up all the time, and she'll like, you know, she's just that kid with like the snotty nose and right. covered in dirt, and uh, so I kind of just feel like, you know, she can take a punch. She was born with the forceps. Interesting. And, and it was fine, you know? Like, she just kind of bounces back. Yeah. And then I can only... <laughs> and Rasheen's been a, a delightful, easy baby so far. Um, and, yeah, so that That's seems to be the case for so me. Cool. So neat. Um, So... What would be your kind of, you know, wise words to, to pass on to other women? I mean, you've said a lot of really amazing, helpful things, especially about kind of like, you know, as we talked about, like the intentions and expectations and things like that. But, you know, the biggest takeaway for a woman planning an unmedicated birth, mm-hmm. um, both in the hospital and out of the hospital, um, what would be your best tip as a mother of three to kind of pass on Hmm. or learning lesson or well I think um as a woman to not to really own and trust your power and that that you are the expert on your body and on your baby and so you know tests and doctors and midwives are all like uh, these amazing tools that can give you some insight but nobody knows better for you and your child than you do and to even if you don't know what that feels like to like trust your intuition, like practice um, beforehand, like with with little things, like I don't know, like like if you feel a certain way and you're and you're drawn to like a certain food, like try it out, see what it you know, and or read some books, like. To, that might empower you rather than uh, than tell you the answers. Mm. Like find some 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 people or some stories that can 
help you reflect inward for answers instead of outside of yourself, because that, that will serve you in your whole motherhood journey, because that also comes up all the time when you have a new baby and everything's scary. You know, with my first, every time she had a fever, I it was like ready to throw her in the hospital into the, yeah, into the car seat and rush to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, on looking things up and totally dysregulating myself. But, um, but if I had been quiet and just gone within, you know, I think you do, you, it feels different when something's really wrong than when it's just your mind conjecting on, on what could possibly happen. So to even, so, so before you even have your baby to toy with like what I'm having these thoughts, where are they coming from? Are they from out, you know, outside of myself or, or are they my body telling me something? Yeah. Which sounds like a version of meditation. I mean, yeah, it's just yeah. like, you know, of, of, and whether that you can do you can call it something else. You can call it focus. You can call it prayer, but, um, but yeah, of sitting taking a moment to sit quietly and differentiate those voices and like yes. where are they where you are said they going that's so much more eloquent no but that's no so, but that's so right that's, yeah that's a wonderful and i think that's definitely something that you know everyone can do very easily of whether it has to be a scheduled thing of like mm-hmm. setting an alarm you know or yeah. or just being more um you know in tune with that like feeling of like is you know that kind of that questioning yeah. voice that comes up, and then taking the moment right then and there to just like try to yeah differentiate between what's happening, um, which is like you said so helpful beyond just the pregnancy and birthing process. Mm-hmm. So that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Eileen. It was amazing. So so inspiring. Thank you. I really enjoyed it and. I also feel like it's another way I can change the birth story for my girls. One day they'll be able to hear this. So totally. I'm really honored that I got to share it with you. It's oh, great. Thank you. Eileen came from a long line of women in her family who had highly medicalized births, including her own, each one with less intervention than the last. After a cesarean with her first child and a vaginal birth after cesarean, also known as VBAC, in the hospital for her second, Eileen chose to have a home birth with a midwife for her third. She felt it was important for her two older daughters to be part of the experience in an attempt to rewrite their family birth history. With a tub, her husband, mother, and two daughters present, Eileen gave birth to her third daughter on what she calls the greatest day of her life. <laughs>